Hey everybody, this is the House of Shade, and today's community spotlight is co-hosted by Red-Eyed Bear and Dougie DeLuca, who are joined by Brainjar of Composable Labs. Composable Labs is a research development incubation arm of Composable Finance. Labs functions as the interoperable research and cross-chain development hub for the Polkadot and broader DeFi ecosystem. In today's episode, we discuss UX optimization, the future of DeFi, and the importance of cross-chain infrastructure. Then we learn about Composable's utilization of IBC and Cosmosm, and how they view privacy in DeFi. And finally, we discuss how Shade and Silk could play a role in cross-chain DeFi. Now let's jump right in and join Red-Eyed Bear and Dougie DeLuca for our conversation with Brainjump of Composable Labs. All right, and we're live. Thank you everybody for tuning into this episode. Honestly, it feels great to be back home. Uh, recording podcasts again after spending a full week in Austin at DecentralCon and Consensus. Uh, to say the least, it was an absolutely packed week uh, full of learning, networking, collaborating, meeting new individuals, and just having some good old fun with, uh, with the people I'm working with. Um, today, I am joined by Dougie and Brainjar from Composable Finance uh, to talk to them about their cross-chain smart contract platform. Welcome, Brainjar. Hello, sirs. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we dive into uh, the details about Composable Finance, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your background in the blockchain crypto uh, space and what kind of led up to you um, working and building Composable Finance. Yeah, sure. So actually, um my first ever interaction with crypto was probably around 2014 2015 something around then um learned about bitcoin then learned about ethereum then learned about cosmos and polka dot um and then got really interested in like eth2 um then the bear market hit and i was heavily focused on basically just like writing well surviving uh and then <clears throat> as part of that survival i started writing a lot of white papers for projects sort of doing like deep protocol design um thinking about like what could DeFi look like on any of these chains um in the future then sort of uh DeFi summer happened in 2020 uh saw crazy gas prices learn about arbitrum and optimism and all these other l2s popping up then i sort of saw connects and some of these other uh solutions and felt like well ibc kind of does this already why do we need um like 20 different bridging protocols uh then i sort of started to think about okay so now actually protocols are launching on these different ecosystems could there be a way where you could actually have cohesion between these disparate markets? Um, and that's essentially what birthed Composable. A long time ago, the original ethos was how could we build a chain that can process multiple different smart contracts? Um, <clears throat> but eventually I said, yeah, that's you know kind of boring. But, uh, but the idea of sort of being able to segment state transition functions on multiple chains <clears throat> and have them be able to talk to each other uh, through one sort of like overarching orchestration layer. Funny enough is like one year later, um, we've kind of returned to that vision. So yeah, that, that's kind of the idea. That's, that's awesome to hear. Um, I mean, my, my crypto journey basically started um, like I feel like most people, I started uh, in Ethereum and then moved to Cosmos after I started seeing kind of like you said, these um, these crazy gas prices and, you know, having to wait longer periods of time to be able to send transactions through and just trying to find something that had more unique utility and was be able to, was able to provide opportunities that some of these initial projects couldn't. So uh makes me happy hearing that uh you saw you saw the value in the cosmos ecosystem to begin with all right thank you for giving us uh some background um on yourself and your time you've spent in the crypto industry um so maybe let's start off this conversation before we get too deep into the woods 
uh, about the tech stack that Composable uh, is leveraging. Can you provide us like a, a general overview of what Composable Finance, like what problems Composable Finance is trying to solve um, and some of the like intro, um, intro things that people would need to know uh, when learning about Composable? Yeah, so the, the core problem that we're trying to solve is essentially it all tracks back to the user. So in like Web2 land, there's this ethos of like, if this isn't stupidly simple for the user to interact with, no one's going to use it and your project will basically just go to zero. And to be honest, that same ethos has really not trickled into crypto as much as we've wanted it to. And the reason, honestly, for that is because there's all these different chains, all these different ecosystems for you to actually know, uh, like even just today, I was like doing some stuff on Uniswap and like for anyone to actually know what to do there, it's a huge learning curve. <laughs> uh, and like as much as people try to make these things simple, like for you to actually know what to do in DeFi, uh you have to first understand you know which chain you want to be on you need to understand the concept of gas you need to understand the concept of uh like rpc urls um which wallets you'd like to use operational security um storing your private keys properly and then from there you have to then say okay now that i've selected my ecosystem to do X, Y, Z thing, uh, which protocol am I gonna use? Will I use Compound? Will I use Aave? Will I use um, a lending protocol on Phantom? And so it's all these things that, that just like make crypto so difficult for retail to actually wanna interact with. And just seeing in my experience, like showing some of my normie friends how to do stuff like I just feel bad <laughs> that this is like the best that our ecosystem can provide. Um, <clears throat> so Composable's overarching vision is to tackle this bigger problem by just being able to create orc an orchestration layer where all of this complexity can be abstracted away. Obviously, this means we have to tackle like seven or eight different problems, but the first core problem we're tackling is how can you module, modularize functionality? And what that means is how can, if I want to swap something, not have to think about where I'm doing, where I'm doing it, but rather specifying what you'd like to do as opposed to how you'd like to do it. Um, so obviously we can dive deep into the tech stack and like how we actually do that. But like, that's kind of the Valhalla vision of Composable is like it becomes this framework and technical stack to build very stupid retail facing, all encompassing uh, applications that, you know, not only are interesting from a retail perspective, but also interesting from a HFT and institutional perspective as well, because obviously you have these disparate markets and there's inefficiencies between the two. Um, and that, of course, is hard to do if you don't have the infrastructure, uh, hard to do arbitrage between these disparate markets if you don't have the necessary infrastructure, right? And so it's about bringing these two th worlds together of like reducing inefficiencies and thereby begetting uh, retail adoption. I love the sound of that. This, uh, what you're saying makes me think about something you said in your presentation at Decentral um, that I, I really liked. Um, you were talking about how you wanted to focus on um, letting users like do what they want to do versus how they want to do it. Like you're talking about abstracting away some of how, how these things actually happen, you know, which network are we going to choose? Which wallets are we going to choose? What, like, what bridges do we want to use if we're potentially, um, you know, trying to move assets from one chain to another? Um, and so from a, from a enhancement perspective or from the perspective of enhancing the end user experience, this makes complete sense. Like it, my, it clicks with my brain. Um, but I'm curious what, 
what was it that made you realize that this was a, a problem? Like there were so many people focusing on how something can be done and not enough people focusing on like making sure people can do what they want to do in the best way possible, regardless of kind of how it's done. Yeah. So that, that's a great question. I mean, this became most apparent to me when I was trying to LP on sushi swap when sushi actually started going multi-chain, right? So you started seeing sushi on phantom sushi on whatever moon river, all these different places. And you start to realize, okay, the rates on these different ecosystems are super different. Um, not just because of the sushi incentives, but also because there's like an actual difference in who wants to swap what for what in each ecosystem. So WBTC ETH would be at like some percent APY. And then you'd have like that times two on another chain. Right. And so being the anal person that I am, as I was doing these things, I always was thinking, could there be, am I missing something? Am I missing an opportunity? even just a swap, right? Like, yeah, you use one inch on, on mainnet or Paraswap or any of these other DEX aggregators, but do you actually think you're getting the best rate where maybe you could be getting the best rate on spooky swap or something super, super random, uh, that you may have not thought about. Right. So for me, I, I realized that this was just like missed opportunities. Um, is, is what motivated me to think about, okay, let's try to make this something that, um, users can be sure that there's kind of no stone left unturned, I guess. Nice. Yeah. So I guess we can start diving a little bit into the tech stack that you guys are leveraging to actually be able to enable users to focus on, you know, what it is that they want to do rather than how they do it. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, you guys are built on, uh, Polkadot, the Kusama parachain. Yeah. Both the Kusama and Polkadot parachain. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So, um, most of our viewers, um, and people that recognize shape protocol are from the cosmos ecosystem. So could you provide a little bit of background on why you guys decided to, uh, build on Polkadot? Absolutely. So. What do you need if you're trying to, so the way I think about this is like, um, I don't know if you saw this slide in my presentation, but it's the best explanation of the technical stack. You have kind of like these five different layers and it's very similar to like this OSI network model, which by the way, like I wrote about this a long time ago and then layer zero decided to just repurpose it in their article, but whatever, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. Um, so at the bottom of this, so at the top, you have sort of applications, then you have XCBM, then you have this routing layer, then you have uh, the transport layer, then you have the infrastructure layer. So what does this all mean? So XCBM is basically the virtual machine that lets you execute cross-chain smart contracts written in Cosmosm. So uh, then from there, when you specify in that cross-chain uh, smart contracts, say swap or lend, the function, uh, aka where that actually happens, is determined by this routing layer. From there, the message is actually passed to the respective chain using IBC, basically, where IBC is possible, uh, to basically, with instructions in this message to say, hey, you know, swap X for X on this protocol, X for Y on this protocol. Um, then underpinning all of this, right? Like you can't just have all of this stuff without a reconciliation layer. Cause who do you trust? Who, who would you, who would you trust that these transactions have actually went through? Like, uh, you're going to trust the routing layer. Well, they need to put down a stake to do something. Mm -hmm. Are you going to trust relayers for IBC? I mean, yes, but like, uh, they're just passing messages, right? So, how do you make sure that the stuff that you actually want to accomplish is provable and easily like uh, reconciled? And so we decided to 
creates an L1 dedicated to sustaining all of this stuff happening um, across multiple chains and become the reconciliation layer. For us then it was, we had to decide, will we become a Cosmos SDK chain? Will, will we become a pair chain? Or will we, will we become like a roll up or something like that? Um, and the decision was made to become a pair chain for three main reasons. Number one, we're Rust Maxis, so we're not big fans of the Cosmos um, like SDK. I mean, yes, we are fans of it, but just like from a technical perspective, uh, like what is best for our engineers is just Rust versus Go. So, um, so that was kind of like the first point. So uh, then the focus was like, if we're going to be running this interoperable infrastructure, we need something that's uh, agile and nimble enough to perform upgrades. And what's really exciting about Substrate is this concept of runtime upgrades. You can very easily just upgrade the chain, the chain's runtime, um, in a matter of like minutes, as opposed to having to orchestrate. You know, here's all the things that will be in this upgrade. Let's all vote and have the vote take forever, and then have this like arduous hard fork process. I mean, at this point, I think most people have reduced the time necessary for upgrades, but it, but I do still fundamentally believe that the Substrate framework is a faster runtime upgrade um, experience than doing the same on Cosmos. Uh, and so that was also a consideration. And then the third consideration, honestly, was um, we weren't entirely sure how much stuff we would have to add to our chain um, to be able to support this stuff into the runtime. And I believe that the palette framework, um, AKA modules and Cosmos, they're just a little bit more modular than modules in the Cosmos SDK. Um, and I mean, that's, again, this is all subjective stuff, except for point two, I would say point two is probably like pretty fair. Um, I'd say the, the last real point was also just like go to market strategy, right? I think a lot of Cosmos teams need to spend a lot of time spinning up a nice validator set, um, and having a good group of people to validate the chain. Whereas for us, right, we get our security from the relay chain. So we didn't really have to do much to actually spin up our chain. Um, there, there are obviously some, some drawbacks. We have to do a crowd loan. People don't like crowd loans in the Cosmos ecosystem. They say, oh yeah, you have to pay rent, et cetera. Well, I consider it the same way that Cosmos does airdrops, right? Cosmos, every Cosmos project does an airdrop of a pretty substantial portion of its supply. Like we're talking like 16 to 20% of their supply, something usually. And that's exactly what we did for our crowd loan too. We just put out a rewards amount for people who stake DOT and KSM into our crowd loan slots. And I don't really see it much differently than that, to be honest. Um, so with all those things being said, the mission was always, let's use the parachain as an infrastructure layer, but let's use IBC as the communication framework and Cosm Wasm as the smart contract framework. So we're, we're kind of borrowing from all the ecosystems and using what Polkadot does best, which is substrate is the most bullish thing that I've ever seen as far as like creating blockchains um, and shared security for the, from the relay chain obviously has arrived faster than the Cosmos hub um, providing shared security. We're looking into actually finding a way to get shared security as well from the cosmos hub so we could have security from both but yeah i mean i don't know how that's actually possible but it sounds it sounds nice yeah yeah i mean that that decision like when you're saying you wanted to be you know built on polka dot then utilize a lot of the strengths that you see in the cosmos um ecosystem i find really interesting um could you talk us through a bit more like of that decision, like why you chose, you know, to integrate IBC and ultimately kind of proliferate it. Like you're bringing it to near, you're bringing it to other ecosystems. Like why choose IBC 
Um, and also, why choose Cosmosm as well um, when you could have chosen seemingly other things as well? Yeah, so let's talk about Cosmosm first. So, so first of all, Cosmosm is is uh, like the foremost Wasm-based smart contract framework out there. There are other things like Ink in the Substrate ecosystem. Um, Ink has been under development for three years now and still isn't ready and has a lot of like feel as though it's very architected so that it can't be deployed on multiple chains. Whereas Ethan Frey, um, outside of the Polkadot ecosystem, whereas Ethan Frey basically, it's called Cosm Wasm, but it feels like he built it in a way where it could be deployed on any chain. Um, and he also like recently put something out saying, we want to support more languages beyond Rust as well. So it's a much more like, it's a beautiful extendable framework that I think will become the future of smart contracting as opposed to EVM. I think EVM is like really hyped because a lot of people do Solidity, but I mean, if people have the choice, I think they'll choose Cosm Wasm over Solidity, to be honest. Okay. so. And with regards to IBC, I think it was it was just obvious that so we had to decide to do three things, right? Either one, we create our own message passing protocol like Axlar has done, which I don't believe in reinventing the wheel, especially because IBC has been under development for how long? Uh, like forever, right? Three years at least. Years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In crypto years, exactly, right? So like, yeah. <laughs> why why would I then go say, yeah, I'm going to build my own messaging protocol. It's so like, it's going to be so much better than IBC and XCM. It's like, uh, I'd rather leave it up to the gigabrains of Cosmos, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of like the, the first thing. So definitely threw that out of the window. Then we said, okay, are we going to extend to XCM or are we, we going to extend IBC? And Let's just talk, let's just be real here, right? Which is in production for longer, which has had more volume, um, and which is like heavily tested, IBC. Which is extendable to other ecosystems, which, which is not uh, chain specific, um, and which, which can also like allow you to encode packets of information and pass it from chain to chain. The first two points is IBC, and the third point is both. Um, but again, XCM is not very easily extendable to other ecosystems because it's heavily Polkadot focused. Yeah. Um, whereas IBC doesn't matter uh, as long as you can spin up a light client on both chains. You can use IBC to communicate. Um, yeah. That's something I didn't know about until reading. Uh, I was reading through your uh, some of the articles you posted uh, on your Medium page and realizing that um, how IBC achieves its its trustlessness through these light clients and finality proofs. Um, and so, are you, is it basically like if if there is a chain that utilizes light clients, you could effectively set up these. I think you refer to them as satellite contracts on different chains that can uh, communicate to each other. Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, the way that trustless bridging basically works is if a chain is well architected, let's just take near or, po or Polkadot as an example, uh, to be able to pass the proof of a transaction actually occurring uh, you need you need a light client. Light client is basically like a consider it like a micro full node, if that makes okay. any sense. So mm -hmm. it maintains like the, the 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 state of the chain, but sort of like a subset, I guess. Um, and because it maintains the subset, you can then take whatever this light client is reading, aka the latest finality proof, and pass it on to the next chain using IBC. I'm trying to think as you're as you're talking about this, because I'm a I'm a non technical person, but I enjoy listening to people talk about technical things. Sometimes it just takes me a little bit 
longer to uh, process that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, right, like the beauty of this is I don't, let's just talk about 30 years from now, right? 30 years from now, are we going to be wanting to operate in a world where bridges go down? Like, what is a bridge? Okay, let's just really distill what's a bridge. A bridge is just something you can rely on to tell you that something on chain X propagates something on chain Y, mm -hmm. right? And instead of having to, 30 years from now, rely on a centralized party to tell you this, that this is the case, why don't you just have the actual proof basically get relayed from chain to chain? Why don't you actually have uh, the actual, like what's actually happening on the blockchain uh, get relayed from chain to chain? I don't foresee a world in which things like validator based bridges and I don't see things like, like centralized bridges being something that exists 20 years from now, maybe, right? I think there's going to emerge two like camps of bridging. There's going to be really well-funded bridges that have infinite money for, for insurance. Right. And so it doesn't matter if you're running like a trust trusted bridge, because you know, this bridge is going to bail you out. Right. But as we've seen in this meltdown, even people we think that have yep. billions of dollars are not necessarily what don't necessarily have good balance sheets. Um, or then you're going to have the second camp, which like even at Osmocon, right? I said this and I forget which of the other speakers uh, said, replied to me, but he was like, yeah, um, bringing IBC to multiple ecosystems is really hard. It's like, yeah, bro, I know it's really hard. Um, but like, what do we expect? Like I'm, I'm envisioning a world 30 years from now, right? I'm not envisioning a world tomorrow. Like, yes, maybe IBC won't get as much traction as validator based bridges today. Right. But what about next year? What about the year after that? Like IBC will become the HTTPS of blockchains. That's just the reality. Um, how many bridges do we have to watch fail or get exploited <laughs> or just like solutions just fail again before we realize that, okay, maybe this thing that hasn't gotten as much marketing or hasn't been, you know, put out there by, uh, as much into the public, maybe we should, uh, follow its footsteps because it's got a proven track record of performance. I mean, it's just not, it's just not sexy, right? Like, I think it's sexy. I'll I'll talk about it say, I think it's sexy. As well. <laughs> yeah, I think it's sexy. I think it's super sexy. I'll talk about this all day, all day long. Right. But yeah. I think it's, it's just like people don't really, people may not necessarily care, but also like, let's just not downplay how hard this is. Like, this is also very hard. Like we have the people that we have working on this are probably some of the 0.0001% like brightest minds in not just crypto, but also like this distributed computing and, and like cryptography and things like this. It's actually very, very difficult. Um, and you guys see us like quickly putting out these near proposals and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, looks easy, but it's actually really, really hard. And like, these guys are just geniuses. That's why we can do this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so going back to what you were saying about like how you, you view IBC trustless bridging basically as being the future, I, like my brain naturally shifts to Ethereum. And mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, you can't use the IBC type bridge to connect to Ethereum. And so how do you think Ethereum evolves to kind of, you know, play a role in the future where it might be that IBC is a new HTTP, HTTPS? Uh, like, what do you think about that? Yeah, so there's two answers to this. Answer number one, ETH2 can support IBC bridging. I was talking to Jack uh, about this. Okay. Yeah, I was talking to Jack about this. I think someone... Someone's already working on this, I'm pretty sure. But if they're not, then we'll probably work on it. Yeah. Um, and then secondarily to that, Polygon can support IBC bridging. Uh, cool. It's not like it's not like it's Ethereum main, Ethereum mainnet, right? But at least like gets you close, right? 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I gotta say, I I totally empathize with your stance you're taking um, about like, even if something is hard to hard to build, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't build it or put effort towards that, especially if it's a superior uh, end product. Um, you know, I, most of my background and time spent in uh, the crypto industry has been within the secret network, um, which is providing programmable privacy for uh, smart contracts. And, and they were the, the world's first uh, smart contract platform to be able to, that's interoperable and be able to provide this programmable privacy. And, you know, that, that shit's hard, but that doesn't mean that it's not a worthwhile endeavor. So um, it makes me very bullish to hear that you guys are more than happy to take on that that sort of difficult um, these difficult tasks ahead of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to get spiritual with it, right? Like, at some point, you start to see like you start to just become so into this that it just becomes like a uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just have to get spiritual, like philosophical so i'm curious um with the approach you guys are trying to take in the DeFi space of being able to help end users just focus on you know what that final task that they want to do not how they do it do you feel like there are any risks that uh come from this abstraction uh for the end users like even though it may be more difficult for users to uh do this end thing that they want to do whether it's like for, for me, right? If I want to buy secret, uh, I'm usually going for, uh, buying Adam on a centralized exchange, bridging that or depositing that in my Kepler wallet, then putting that Adam on a DEX and then swapping for secret, then pulling that back into my wallet. Um, while that is a lot of steps, it does help me as an end user understand what this whole process is kind of understand the role of centralized exchanges, even if I'm not a fan of them. I know they do play a role right now uh, in this space. So I'm just wondering, one, if you guys think there are any risks associated from this, uh, associated with the abstraction of like how things are done from the end user perspective. And then if you do think there are risks, how do you guys plan on educating end users who end up or in uh, developers and end users on uh, you know what's going on underneath the hood at composable okay this is a great question so I think first of all it's all about UX right it's all about showing the user enough so that they don't feel like they're getting rugged uh, but also making sure that the abstraction isn't isn't uh, like kind of going too overboard. And so we're demoing an initial iteration of what we think these types of applications should look like. Like, I, I kid you not when I say Slenderman, our head of design within Composable, um, he has done nothing but think about this problem for the past like nine months. That's awesome. Basically. And me and him, I think that I think our process within Composable is actually really different than a lot of other Web3 companies. Like things always start between me and him, and then we get Carol involved, our CTO. Then we get Marmine involved, like our head of product strategy, and then we talk about all these different pieces. But when we're thinking about like core user-focused applications, I think it's super important. I think it's also very um, like underrated that people should have like an in-house designer that they like talk to a product guy that they talk to, to give these ideas to. But anyway, um, we are going to open source a lot of different components of our UX for people to build these types of applications in the future, because we have spent so much time thinking about this example. I mean, I don't want to alpha leak too much, but basically like we're going to have, I mean, you could, <laughs> We, for instance, we have this concept of like visualization of a route, right? I don't know if you've seen um, Socket Network. They have a nice route visualization of like what happens when you move from chain A, B, C, whatever. Um, we took that and we took that sort of general idea and just made it like 10x more uh, robust and encompassing of other functions like swap, lend, et cetera, et cetera. And so this all 
is visualized in a core open source piece we will ship um basically what's called like a stepper or a visualizer we don't have a name for it yet but uh so there will be different pieces of this ux that we'll release and we're going to demo this july 1st at unchained.events at berlin our like first conference um awesome. and we're gonna yeah we'll be showing people like hey look this is what a cross-chain application would look like and hopefully we can gather enough feedback from people where they say yeah no like the ux is kind of went too overboard or the ux didn't cover this piece and this piece and, and stuff like that so i think it's going to be like it's a ux problem but also to your point it's also a security problem too so we're going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about you know error handling callbacks what happens when um a message at step two on chain a uh fails for some reason um does it revert does it just force move on to the next step uh so these are all decisions we're gonna have to make modular so that the user can kind of make this decision themselves eventually um so there's going to be a lot of education necessary there's going to be a lot of like ux explanations and modals and, and things like that that pop up to explain to people what's actually going on in the earlier iterations until we get to this like valhalla moment and then the, the last piece as part of this uh, point addressing your question is I think also there's going to be a massive lift for developers as well, not from a technical perspective, rather from a uh, mindset perspective, because you think about it, right? Like who wants to build these types of applications? Sure, you could have a token for these applications, but um, it's going to be people who actually understand what cross-chain means. I don't think people understand what cross-chain means right now. Like, you can think about what a cross-chain game looks like. You could think about what a cross-chain uh, NFT marketplace looks like. These are things we'd be able to support, right? But it becomes harder to educate like the DeFi Anons, uh, you know, who want to build crazy leverage perpetual arbitrage indices, you know, across markets. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Actually, I have a few different questions based on what you're just talking about, but the first is kind of like going back to what you're saying about the developers, like what types of dApps do you see composable being the home for? Like, will it be a lot of different aggregation based dApps or do you think it's something that, you know, I'm not thinking about that you think is going to proliferate there? Yeah. So there's three different categories aggregation arbitrage and basically um kind of like uh i call them like portals into crypto kind of okay. we'll come to the third point last okay. the first point aggregation right things like where do i how this application gets me the best interest rate yep. across all loans this application gets me the best swap across all chains um so there's aggregation, right? Also, I think within aggregation, we're going to see very interesting things, right? Like, have you ever seen a concentrated lending pool before? No, like, we need them um, very badly. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I, I, yeah, I've yeah. never seen I've never seen a concentrated lending lending pool. Yeah. So I mean, think about it, right? Like, you need be three, but for taking out a loan, right? What does that actually mean? Well, essentially, I mean, let's actually talk about what UniV3 actually is, right? UniV3 is essentially like virtualizing liquidity across a range. I mean, it's not actual virtual liquidity, but it's real liquidity across a specific range. You can do the same thing, but having it be virtualized. So you could take like VAMMs from per, uh, Perpetual Protocol and adapt this for lending markets and just have essentially this this like concentrated lending aggregator that pulls like uh essentially bids and asks for offers on loans um from all these different like ave compound etc 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 so there's going to be like very interesting complex applications that that can pop up um i don't know if you've seen this protocol called panoptic but panoptic basically takes uni uni v3 LP positions 
and turns them into options, essentially. Hmm. Um, and so you could feasibly open a multi-legged option uh, like uh, position across multiple different chains, you know, one leg on one chain, another leg on another chain, et cetera. So, so that's like, this is like gigabrain aggregation, new types of DeFi protocols. That's like one category. Then we move to the second category. Can I, can I ask you a yeah. quick question before we move to the second one? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like these, uh, aggregation focused, uh, D apps are, they, they're significant right now because we're seeing, you know, fragmented liquidity uh, and like siloed liquidity on these different chains. Um, so obviously with what you guys are doing with this cross chain uh, smart co contract platform, um, you're going to be able to have access to all these different fragmentations to build this kind of uh, bigger collective. I don't know if you would consider it a virtual pool, but something like that. Um, as we get to the point where, liquidity is not as fragmented and there's these bigger pools sitting on these other chains. Do you feel, do you see, uh, you know, these aggregation D apps kind of losing some steam or do you think they'll be relevant, uh, for a while? I mean, my opinion is that if anything, aggregation is more important in the bear market than the bull market, because who wants to L who wants to LP right now? Like, Nobody, Nobody yeah. right? Nobody. Who's gonna go LP WBTC ETH? I dare you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm good, right? So it's like, okay, so if no one wants to LP, then how am I gonna make my swaps, bro? Uh, Fair enough. So, so that's the thing. So I think no matter what, like, we're gonna need a period of aggregation before there will be like ecosystems i think for instance right like osmosis is a huge dex in cosmos will they always be the biggest dex i mean i think i'm very bullish cosmos so i think that's definitely a very like feasible situation but what about other ecosystems right like avax having the biggest like having the biggest uh <clears throat> pool for like wbtc east like i just i can't see that right yeah um so I think it's going to be like, to your point, I think aggregation will be more valuable for blue chip assets and, and thereby like, that's why it's important, I guess. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, anyway, then about arbitrage, I think there's a lot of very interesting situations here that probably will go over the heads of a few people listening, but I'll try to break it down and like very simple. So what is crypto or sorry, what is each chain? Each chain is a market, right? And as we were saying before, there's huge disparities between each market. Okay. So now what if you could spin up a contract that literally just performs kind of like, have you heard of uh, CalSwap before? I have not. No. CalSwap basically does coincidence of wants order matching. So basically they take your order and they match it with another person taking the other side of the trade on another within that same pool. Yeah. So that's like, that's super efficient, right? But what if you could do that across multiple chains, right? I take your order ETH BTC and uh, I match you with someone selling BTC for ETH on AVAX, right? There's a spread there. Um, and I think that's going to become very interesting for people like institutional players, et cetera. Then we talk about MEV, right? Cross-chain MEV. Um, we're seeing the first examples of uh, data being passed using IBC through interchain accounts. And I think what people don't really appreciate is if I run a relayer, and I see something, for instance, like let's just take Quicksilver as an example. If I wanna provide a stake on another chain while I'm on Quicksilver, uh, like I don't think this is the perfect example, but that could be front run, right? Because as the relayer, I can see that, mm. right? And, and <laughs> relayers don't make money in IBC. I mean, there's, there's new like incentivization programs coming out, et cetera, but 
I don't think that that's going to be the long-term way that relayers get paid. I think relayers are going to make money on meds, cross-chain meds. I was about to say, right now, I think most relayers are just relying on delegations. Like most of them also run validators and they just promote the fact that they're a relayer and hope to get delegations that way. Exactly. But but they can start doing things like front running and stuff yeah. like this. They can start doing things like MEV, right? Imagine, for instance, in our system, imagine an instruction says swap on osmosis, right? And you're a relayer. You see that step three and you're the step two relayer then you could instantly go take the other side of that trade, right? And so this also becomes super interesting to people. And I don't think it's necessarily bad, right? Mm -hmm. As long as you're not harming the user, you're actually making the market more efficient. Yep. Um, yep. A perfect, a most beautiful example of this, actually, I'm not going to leak that, so never mind. But um, I think this, this can be modularized and kind of like turned into something that institutions and others could be interested in, in doing. And I think cross-chain MEV is going to become a very big thing over the next like year. Um, it's a meme right now, but I don't think it's a, a meme for much longer. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so for anyone that um, in the future wants to use applications that are built on... Uh, or built within or on top of composable uh, finance, what sort of wallets would they be looking at? Like, are you guys planning on being able to allow users to use a range of wallets? Is it going to be, uh, you know, Polkadot specific wallets? Are we going to be able to use like Kepler or more uh, Cosmos ecosystem focused wallets? Yeah, all three Polkadot, JS, oh, nice. Kepler, and, and MetaMask. Yeah, you actually. Depending on what you want to do, you might not even need to connect your Polkadot.js. Uh, down the line, initially, you'll have to just assign some things. But yep. down the line, you might not even need to even know that you're doing anything with regards to Polkadot at all. Um, so yeah, that's that's like the we've been playing around, and this is a this is definitely a leak. We've been playing around for the past like two months building like a widget that lets you basically connect all three um, at the same time. I mean, one after the other, but yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I, I actually, before I say this, um, I know you said there's one more product or one more DAP category and I had a really cool name. I forget what it is. Do you want to explain what that is as well? Yeah, this was the crypto portal thing, right? Go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, so for for this, right? It's just like, okay, let's take let's let's think about Celsius, right? So Celsius took user funds and deployed it across all these different chains. We don't actually know what they were doing, really. Um, and and I th I think the like. There will be a push, but it was a really great retail focused application, right? Like, mm -hmm. I even know my parents even like aped into Celsius a long time ago, right? And like, so um, I think there will be a push for truly decentralized applications like Celsius um, that will emerge. And the only way you can build these things is with trustless bridging and with things like XCVM. Uh, there's simply no other way to do it really. So I think these like user retail focused applications where you just set it and forget it, um, but want to have a history of what your money is actually going into and have it truly be decentralized. This is the third category. Got it. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I think I know the answer to this, but I could use some clarification. So like, how does liquidity actually flow with composable finance? Like, does it ever actually have to go through the Picasso chain or might it just be like, you know, you're controlling on Picasso, but all the liquidity is actually moving separately? Yeah, that's right. So basically it's either or, right? So it depends on what you want to do. So if you want to say swap dot for ETH, then you're going to have to obviously interact with our parachains. Yep. Um, but if you say want to swap WBTC for ETH, then you never even need to interact with Picasso ever, right? That would happen on another chain. 
or other chains. So um, depending on how we like, how far we're going to go with this, which I think we're going to go very far, but it's going to be in phases. As I said, you'll, you, there will be a world where you don't even have to even know you're doing anything with Picasso. Um, very cool. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, I do want to talk a little bit about how Shade Protocol can potentially work with, collaborate, or leverage what uh, Composable is doing. So I'm assuming most people who are, um, who are watching this are aware of what Shade Protocol is doing, but for any new people, let's say from the Polkadot ecosystem or some of these other ecosystems that are interested in Composable but not aware of what Shade Protocol is doing, uh, Shade Protocol is an interconnected set of uh, decentralized applications built on top of uh, the secret network and leveraging the programmable privacy. Um, the flagship product for Shade Protocol is Silk which is an over-collateralized stablecoin um, that will be able to leverage that uh, programmable privacy. And so I'm really interested uh, because of, you know, the, these, uh, these things that Composable is going to allow end users to do, um, all the different ecosystems and chains that are going to be able to be connected um, through, through these messaging and routing layers uh, that Composable is uh, building, going to be leveraging. Um, I'm curious what, what uh, potential opportunities um, are there. Like, obviously, with Silk, it is in our best interest, uh, our being uh, the protocol's best interest, to try and be able to promote and uh, push Silk outside of the Shade ecosystem and, and outside the Secret Network ecosystem that will soon be available um, after the next secret network upgrade. Uh, SNP20s will become IBC compatible, so we'll be able to start seeing SNP20s like Shade, Silk when it eventually comes out, um, you know, Alter, all these other uh, different SNP20s able to be seen and traded on other uh, chains within the Cosmos ecosystem. So I just, I'm interested to hear your perspective on how Composable can help shade protocol effectively help distribute uh silk into other ecosystems and provide liquidity to other ecosystems yes i'll take this opportunity to leave and rejoin actually okay uh proactivity yeah he already knows get the timer <laughs> okay so i think one of the biggest things that will happen soon um will be privacy, like will be a huge narrative. I think it's already a huge narrative to be honest, but it'll become even more and more important. I think there's when the dust settles, right? There's gonna be a lot of people, a lot of changes from regulation. Um, and I think people will start to want to be more, uh, to feel like crypto isn't just the banking system, um, but like with some farm tokens, basically. Uh, so I think that's exactly where Shape Protocol plays into. And, and I think the biggest thing that I'd like to accomplish with Shade is this idea of like private bridging. So moving from a, one chain to the next completely in a private manner. So we have this protocol called Whirlpool Cash on our chain. It is a ZK circuit that basically lets you, you know, perform uh, private, essentially, yeah, pr private like transactions on Kuzama. Um, and what you could do is you could basically send funds into Whirlpool Cash, but then exit onto Secret Network uh, through Centauri. AKA our, our bridge to, to, to IBC enabled chains. Okay. So that's, that's kind of like my, my big vision is I'd like to be the first, I'd like for us to come together to become the first actual private bridge out there. Um, there's obviously a conversation about ZK IBC. Like how could you make IBC kind of like completely, no one knows what's happening, I guess. Um, when I say no one, I mean relayers. Uh, 
but I think we're we're far away from that. Someone is people are looking into this. We're looking into this, but like I think this can be the first example of private bridging. So, just out of curiosity, this is kind of my this might be a figment in my imagination. But if you were to be able to do this in a zk fashion, could you theoretically bridge from let's say Secret Network to Aztec and L two on Ethereum in a completely private way without losing that privacy across any steps? Yes. Exactly. I mean, wow. I mean, uh, we have to figure out, right, like, um, how to actually do bridging um, between yes. Aztec and, and IB. So we have to figure that out. But once that's figured out, then yes, definitely. Wow. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Thinking about like, full privacy bridging between EVM to IBC to secret network, especially like, the opportunities there, especially for composable or become pretty massive. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I'll say one one thing that I've been thinking about as we've been talking about, um, you know, the, this these secure ways that Composable is going to be able to help uh, enable this this transferring of data uh, and assets between all these other chains. Uh, one of the things that I've been kind of racking my brain with uh, the past few weeks is like with Silk, obviously, we want to be able to create a a uh, a stable backing for for silk in an over collateralized model and if we're holding volatile assets on our balance sheet that is the backing of silk um you know we we effectively would either have to over collateralize uh our model even more or have to have some sort of like m more active hedging and like maintenance of the treasury than we might like and one of the one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, how do we how do we back Silk with more stable assets, and and a portion of those assets would be decentralized stable coins. Um, obviously, within the Cosmos ecosystem, we have a limited selection of stable coins to, you know, back uh, Silk with. I think right now there's IST that I mean it's not out yet, but that'll be uh, out soon. There's E Money uh, and their you know, their Euro stable coins. Um, and then Comdex is also going to have a, a stable coin as well. But let's say Silk wanted to, or, or the Treasury wanted to hold, uh, you know, small portions of USDC, or they wanted to hold portions of Tether, or they wanted to hold portions of Dai uh, or MIM. Um, how how do you think Composable can help uh, can help? make that a secure reality, you know, because obviously right now, if, if Silk wanted to back, uh, back its, uh, stable coin with something like USDC, we have to rely on some sort of bridge, like a trusted bridge. And if something happens to that bridge, then the, the backing of Silk is, you know, automatically kind of under, uh, under stress, so to speak. Yeah, that is a fantastic question. And it touches on a lot of like um, fundamental points that we can get into. So first of all, it's like um, for Silk, you'll need a reconciliation framework probably. Um, how can you prove that Silk actually owns these assets? So right, okay, so what Silk could do is basically you spin up vaults on multiple chains, you own the assets on say, Ethereum or Polygon or any of these other ecosystems. And then you just have an XCBM reconciliation contract that basically just allows you that, you know, that essentially updates the treasury value every time more assets flow into those vaults. So that's essentially how you do it. Um, and then you'd have this, then you'd have this communication from, you know, from the vault you know, via IBC to back to this XCVM contract and update the state that like, hey, now we have like, you know, $100 more USDC in the treasury, as opposed to, unless you guys want to do a model where you have, you know, all of these assets on the actual um, chain on your actual chain versus having these assets held in other ecosystems. I, I think the latter is more secure because you don't have to bridge these things over to uh to your chain because i think that's like again you have limited options gravity i think axelar right i'm not really sure who else nomad 
My yeah. Bad, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just uh, kind of off the cuff agreement. Uh, it definitely sounds more secure. Like the, the protocol or the treasury would still own the assets on these other chains. They just wouldn't be held natively on the, the chain that uh, Shade is deployed on. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. right. I got to say, I personally, whenever I first found out about Composable, uh, I immediately saw um, some really important similarities between Shade Protocol and uh, Composable Finance. One of those is being trying to provide the best end user experience possible. Uh, DeFi and, prob and probably privacy DeFi even more is kind of intimidating for new users. Um, you know, like I, I don't remember exactly how long it took for me to feel comfortable uh, within DeFi doing all these different things. But I would probably say at least a, a few months before I uh, really felt comfortable. Um, and I know Shade is doing a lot of things to focus on optimizing uh, the end user interface and experience, um, you know, focusing on providing all these access to all the different applications uh, and DeFi primitives all within the same area. There's also the interconnectedness uh, and capital efficiencies that come with having only a single uh, application token, which is the shade token. Um, there's, there's a lot of synergies, capital efficiencies unlocked uh, by having all these applications um, connected it, and ultimately uh, providing a better end user experience you guys are taking a slightly different approach in how you're optimizing end user experience and, and focusing on abstracting away a lot of the complex things that are the barriers to entry into DeFi, uh, kind of like what we talked about earlier, to, to make the process more approachable to, to new and veteran users alike. Like I've been pretty deep in crypto for about a year and a half, and I still do most of my... Uh, crypto interactions within the Cosmos ecosystem because I'm not familiar with how other things work. Like I know I trust specific things within the Cosmos ecosystem. I've seen a proven track record. And for me, going out to other ecosystems, uh, it's still slightly intimidating. I know what the learning curve was for Cosmos, so I can only expect it's going to be similar on these other chains. And so what Composable is doing is kind of just making that approach to all these different ecosystems, you know, being able to provide exposure to all these different digital assets, just making it so much smoother from an end user experience. Um, and I absolutely love uh, the, the end goal you guys are focusing on. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think end of the day, it's all about the end user experience. If we don't have user experience optimized, we just simply won't have users, right? Yep. That's, that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, you can build, uh, it's kind of slightly different approach, but like you can build these phenomenal products uh, that, that, you know, the tech works really well, but it might be kind of clunky, like the actual under underlying operations and mechanics, they work, they're secure, but if the that experience for end users is clunky, or it's not intuitive, then your adoption is just going to be slower. And especially in a market like right now, where teams only have or the, the runway for funding for teams is uh, potentially limited, you know, you need you want to help facilitate that adoption as quick as possible without, uh, you know, putting putting end users at risk, like a security risk. Absolutely. Um, so for anyone that potentially wants to follow composable um or or get involved with composable uh what what links or um resources would you recommend people check out yeah check out our twitter yeah so at composable fin uh composable.finance our website also we will be shipping a new website pretty soon so check that out when that comes out also unchained.events are our uh we have a very, very cool lineup and actually Rob Habermeyer, founder of Polkadot, just confirmed yesterday that he's joining. Uh, so it'll be like literally people from the Cosmos ecosystem, Polkadot, Ethereum, Justin Drake, uh, who's like the ETH2 lead at EF is, is also joining. So yeah, it should be a very exciting lineup. And of course, we're, we're releasing the demo of XCVM 
which should be huge. So that, that all happens July 1st in Berlin. If you're around, feel free to check that out. And then otherwise, feel free to follow me on Twitter, just at 0xbrainjar. Sweet. Yeah, and Wu, I also am going to link your, uh, your Medium page uh, in our description as well, because I learned so much from reading your the articles that you posted. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, thank you for everyone tuning in. Uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation with BrainJar, uh, talking about all the solutions that Composable Finance is bringing to the DeFi space. Um, I'm at demo uh, that comes out when you guys are at Berlin. Uh, and if there's any test nets that are uh, that are going to be open and available, I am super interested in doing uh, those uh, to get you know first sneak peek at it. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This yeah. has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, and for everyone listening, make sure to check out the links that we provide in the description below. Make sure to follow House of Shade. Make sure to follow Composable Finance. And we will catch you guys next time. Peace. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you to BrainJar for joining us on the House of Shade Community Spotlight Series. Make sure to check out the links in the description below to learn more about Composable Finance and the innovative products they are building. And please help support the House of Shade in our mission by liking the video and hitting that subscribe button. Thanks and see you all next time.